Hey everyone, it's Matt and Lucas. We got a quick announcement for you. As some of you may have noticed, we've been kind of alluding to revamping the website a little bit um, and adding some new content on there. Super excited to announce as of this episode, we are officially live with the website. Go check it out. Thanks for playing .live. We got a lot of exciting written content on there from everything covering from, you know, our reviews like on Hogwarts Legacy, some think pieces, some reviews on games we're not even going to do for the podcast, but exclusive to the website like uh, Destiny 2's Lightfall and a lot of other great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. You know, uh, it's been a lot of work basically this year. Matt and I made it a big goal for the podcast to actually have more written content out there. Um, you know, for those of you who've been listening for a while, we've always been in growth mode, you know, trying to promote the yes. pod, trying to get our voices out there. And thanks for playing Dot .live. Um, we're looking to turn into a real content-driven website with, one, all of our regular reviews that we do. So you could always check there for basically the written version of every review we do for this podcast. But additional reviews that we don't have time for for the podcast that are covered by a wide variety of our contributors. Um, Hot Mickey, as you know, a contributor uh, Chambers, who's been on this, um, producer Sam, um, Hyalette, Orion, a uh, lot of great people, including some new voices who maybe you guys haven't heard of before. So check out Thanks for Playing Live for the latest and greatest in video game, nerd culture, movie, TV content. And we hope to see you there. Now for the episode. Hey everybody, it's Lucas, and this is Thanks for Playing, the podcast where we break down the most iconic movies the world has to offer. That's right, everybody. Today, another Saturday bonus episode with myself, producer Sam, and Chambers. Chambers, say what's up. What's good, everybody? I'm happy to be here. We're very excited today. We're talking about a movie that just came out uh, last week, and we all saw it, and uh, we saw it with the intention, actually, of... Uh, talking about it on this podcast and that movie is in the title of the episode you clicked on Bo's Afraid by Ari Aster Ooh. starring Joaquin Phoenix Fuck we're yeah. very 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 excited to be talking about this one but before we get there guys what just happened why are we late to recording today LeBron James LeBron is the king He's LeBron the James king, bro Basically. <laughs> we're we're late because LeBron James hit a clutch layup to send it into overtime, and uh, we had to watch about ten to fifteen more minutes of basketball. <laughs> it's yeah, it's three one in the series right now. I'm calling it now. They're gonna win four one, go to the finals, beat the Celtics. It's gonna be beautiful. <laughs> Whoa, this is gonna okay. this is gonna this is gonna age very well. You kind of skipped that, you kind of so. skipped a few steps there, but yeah, I love yeah. that. They'll beat the they'll beat the Kings and the Nuggets on the way. <laughs> Dang, man. Okay. Bold predictions. Producer Sam, as a probably the biggest basketball fan in this recording, what do you think of that? Um, I'm just going to rock with it because right. I'm, feel, I'm feeling hyped off that last game. So Dude. I hate the Celtics. I actually don't hate the Celtics. I like their team, but inherently I should hate them because I'm a lifelong Lakers fan. But yeah, we're going all the way, baby. Oh, yeah. Getting the chip. I like my chips chip. with the dip. Am I right, boys? <laughs> Fuck yeah. dip, yes. Queso. <laughs> yes, sir. So today we are talking about not uh, NBA playoffs, but we probably will on our next recording. Uh, we're talking about Bo's Afraid, the 2023 film released, um, I guess, the, just this, was it last Thursday or last Friday? Last Friday was opening last weekend. Friday. Um, and we saw it last Friday, basically right when it came out and had a wide release um, starring one of the greatest living actors, 
currently, I think that's not even hyperbole, Joaquin Phoenix, and um, directed by one of the most interesting, um, in, I mean, <laughs> at this point now, genreless directors, uh, Ari Aster, or like weird genre-bendy director, Ari Aster, most known for Hereditary and Midsommar, which I think most people are familiar with those movies, I think of a certain age. Um, oh, yeah. We've all seen those movies. I'm very excited to talk about those on this podcast as well. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was just hit everybody with the initial premise and obviously say, hey, we're going to be talking spoilers on this episode. Um, so if you're going to be seeing this movie very soon, please avoid this episode. Put it on pause. Check it out a little bit later. Um, but Bo is afraid. I got the log line here. A paranoid man embarks on an epic odyssey to get home to his mother. It's that simple. It's that it's that easy of a movie, right, guys? It's very yeah, easy to understand, easy watch, and interpret. Yeah. It's very feel good. <laughs> if you um, like, you've got mail. This is the movie for you. Yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, I, I love you got mail. I, I, is that a joke? No, no. Tom Hanks goaded. Okay, you like Sleepless in Seattle too, Chambers? Yeah, I watched <laughs> it for the first time a couple weeks ago. That's a sad one. Did you, did you actually? <laughs> yeah, for real. Why? Why, why did you watch? Why did you watch that movie? Because Penelope wanted to watch it. She loves that movie. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Bo's Afraid is a three-hour-long nightmare comedy. It's actual, um, I think, the genre that people have been putting it in is nightmare comedy. or That's what it's been referred to as in kind of around the world. And uh, it's kind of a comedy, drama, mild horror elements. Um, rated R, and it has a tomato meter percent of 69%. And currently has a letterbox rating of 36 is there any more introductions for the film before we get into it? Um, yeah, like you said, Ari Aster, Hereditary. I mean, I I think it should be mentioned that he's just also just such a like a movie, like not I don't want to say consumer, but like just kind of has so many different influences, especially from like art house but also not art house he's just like a very avid avid um movie watcher and i i think that's a a little bit important i guess before we get to dive into like what this movie is and how it even became to be i guess yeah 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 the the more you're like a a film buff i think the more it's probably easier to get a grip on this film for sure yeah yeah i i, I agree with you both i agree with both with both of what you just said right there i want to jump first into our first segment which uh we're calling director resume so we've all seen ari aster's previous two films right uh hereditary and midsommar for two yes. feature films yes. I guess yeah. I should say. yeah um i want to talk about those real quick uh producer sam uh describe you know when did you first see hereditary midsommar what'd you think when you saw him how do you feel about those movies even today um I, so I actually saw Hereditary and when it came out and I kind of was like not feeling it to tell you the truth. Um, and I saw Midsommar when it came out and it was like, I literally walked out. I think I told our older brother Shay afterwards. I was like, that was the craziest movie I've ever seen. I had like never, and I saw it by myself too which is i love watching movies by myself because it's like that's insane you don't have to like at the theater yes yes at the theater at the same theater we watched boa actually which is kind of really funny because i had the same shout out amc glendale amc glendale for sure um so i had watched it by myself and that movie is uh pretty pretty crazy 
And I just remember. Was there anyone else in the theater when you watched it? Yes. Yeah. And it was kind of like the same experience with Bo. Like we all kind of walked out. We were exhausted. We were just like, didn't know what to think. Our brain was just scrambled. And, you know, I even, even though I felt that way, I knew I had experienced something that was like very unique and like one of a kind. Um, I, I mean, I just, I just really love Ari. And um, I, so after that, I watched Hereditary again and it like, it like all clicked and I was like, oh, the little mini figurines and like, like, I was like, I get it. Like the spirit goes from like the sister, it wasn't the uncle now, yeah. the sister, then it goes to, you know, heavy spoiler territory for Hereditary first, yeah. first off. Sorry, sorry. But <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're yeah. good. So, anyways, I, you know, I saw the the ending and then, you know, how it, I, it the last, like the last shot of it. It's just, oh my God, it's so incredible. And um, it, it, I, I instantly like understood it after I saw Midsommar. So um, that is my first, I guess, experiences um, checking those films out and finding out yeah. who he is. Chambers. What about you, man? Yeah, I've I've seen both of those features before this. I saw Hereditary first, actually, like on Netflix or whatever it was streaming on. Sweet. Watched it with my parents. Oh, uh, are your parents horror movie fans? N- no, they they just knew it was like supposed to be a good horror film, so they just agreed to watch it. And we all kind of felt very just like quiet and felt like shit after. That that's something I knew going into this. That Ari Aster knew how to like put me in a bad mood after I finished his movies. As much <laughs> as I love his films, I think the the horror aspect of Hereditary and Midsummer are both he, he knows how to create a very like guttural uh, yeah. uh displease within the viewer. But um so I felt that that's mostly what I got out of the Hereditary and I understood like a lot of the themes of it and everything. Um, and then I had a, walked out of the theater feeling the same way with Midsummer. Um, I ended up getting in an argument with my girlfriend after because we'd both just like were just in a terrible mood. After <laughs> <we watched> it. <laughs> You're like, really? now we're breaking yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> um, yeah, but definitely I went into this realizing like, okay, he is really good at taking like really like like breakups or family trauma or um family diseases and like converting this into like something really really horrific and and graphic um yeah so that was my my background in it that's that's pretty similar to to my reactions there i saw hereditary in the theater the summer that it came out um i saw it in portland actually while i was on vacation with a good friend of mine um, and he, it took me some convincing to actually watch it. He said like, this is the new big horror movie. This is huge. I've heard it's amazing. We really got to check it out. Saw it blown away, very deeply, deeply unsettled. Um, and I think what's, what's really cool about what Ari Aster has done. And it's funny cause I think we've all categorized him as a horror director based on his first two movies, but now yeah. I don't know what the hell we categorize him <laughs> as now after watching Bill is Afraid. Um, and I remember thinking after watching Hereditary that we are now officially out of, well, there was two things, Hereditary and uh, the Babadook had come out, I think close to each other in like within two years of each other. I remember thinking we are officially out of like the Saw 
hostile torture porn horror mm. era of cinema yeah, which is great which was great mm. it was great to finally get out of that and then now horror like i think hereditary really is going to be viewed as a super super important horror movie for the I genre think, of, i think the yeah. witch came out around yes yeah, a couple years well. before and that's a yeah. yeah dude the witch is like a mad man we gotta do all these movies yeah. we gotta do all these movies for the podcast honestly yeah. Um, so I, I really loved Hereditary. Midsommar, same thing, deeply unsettled, loved the movie. Very, very unique horror movie that Ari Aster apparently doesn't even really consider that much of a horror movie compared to Hereditary, which I find interesting. The sun's out um, the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice the, Yeah, that's the, it's, it's very bright. It's like the, probably the brightest scary movie I've ever seen, which is, we could talk about when eventually we do that episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ari Aster has had already a very awesome career. Um, I'm just so excited. He's still young. You know, he went to AFI. He, I know he's had shorts um, and, you know, has been really a feature filmmaker in the mainstream for not really that long. Uh-huh. Um, what, six years, seven years now? I mean, I guess Hereditary dropped. is his first yeah. movie, uh, like yeah. official. He has a lot of shorts. Um, right. But yeah, that was his first feature. Yeah. So that was maybe six years ago. Five, six years ago? Five, six years ago. I think yeah, it was 2016, yeah. 2017. Or 2018 it might have been 2018. It was 2018, yeah. 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 So and in five years. is Midsommar. Yeah. So it, within five years, back to back, you know, some banger movies. I mean, three movies in five years is pretty good. I mean, he's on track to, you know, have a, a very solid filmography in the next. And Bo's Afraid was a big movie, too. That by, you know, that was oh, a yeah. long movie to make and cost a lot, of, a lot more money than the other movies. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I think all of us could agree that Ari Aster's trajectory and career is just so exciting to watch. And, um, I'm, I'm personally very, very happy that he took this direction with Bo is afraid. Um, Ooh, all really? right. Actor, actor resume. Next segment here. Oh yeah. How much do we love Joaquin on this podcast? I'm a huge Joaquin stan. Okay. I, I love, I, I love Joaquin. Yeah. I think you both are more Joaquin stands than I am. I love Joaquin too, but. I feel like I don't know why Chambers. I feel like Chambers loves Joaquin. Dude, you know it's funny. Like there's there's actors where I'm like, oh, I fucking love that guy, and then I look at their filmography, and I wonder why I love them because <laughs> I'm I'm staring at it right now, and I can probably name like like three movies that I liked him in, like <laughs> Gladiator, Her. Oh, Her's this amazing. Movie. Her, yeah, hers. The amazing. master is amazing and, too. For uh, sure. Joker, the, ma- the master. Joker, he's, <laughs> yeah. Joker. After cool. that, none of the movies I really like that much. Like, what the village? Uh, I don't. Signs. I die for. Oh fuck! Signs. Signs dude, is I love great. Signs. Yeah, signs is that great. That freaked dude. me out as a child. Yeah. Have you ever seen I'm Still Here? No. Is that is that is that dude. worth watching? Yes. yes, yes, yes. It's very, okay. very good. It's very okay. good. He almost completely trashed his whole career for the sake of a, a I, ex- I basically an experiment. People hated him for like two years, and then yeah. he came yeah. out with her, and they forgave him. <laughs> it's like Kanye. It's like Kanye making the comment on the VMAs, then dropping my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Just makes I, up for everything. I exactly. think Astor actually talked about "I'm Still Here" too. Like he talked about on the one of the interviews that I recently listened to, said that. He saw I'm Still Here and was like, this is the funniest, like, most genius thing I've ever seen, wow. basically, and just, like, loved it. Dang. Yeah, I'm Still Here was, is awesome. We will it's <laughs> add wild. to the list it's of wild. things that we got to do. Add it to the list of things that we got to do for this podcast already. Did you guys watch Inherent Vice? I know he was. I did, but I was, I was, you know, a little bit too 
sauced out, I think, you know, when, when I watched <laughs> You were drunk that. watching it here in Vice? Uh, <laughs> no, but I was, I was something. Let's just say that. You were on some other shit? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, love that. Um, and then the, the ma- I think his last three movies have really elevated him more so than anything else he did before, right? Because he got, like, The Master, Her, and Joker have taken him basically to the top. Do people like, like the Joker? Well, I think... I think people like him and the Joker quite a bit. Okay. I think, yeah. I, I mean, I would also argue, because Gladiator was like a huge movie, like huge. Like, Dude, I mean, that's, I still that's, will, that's really, that's really early, but I don't know. Yeah. But those are also Russell Crowe led movies. That's also a Russell Crowe lead role. And yeah. so you're talking about like a lead as a lead. Yeah. I guess like for me, her, because I love her, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. weird to think that her came out in 2013, which is crazy. The ten years ago, really ahead um, of the game. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, probably will continue to be. Are you talking about ahead of the game in terms of like the story, concept. the yeah. concept? Yeah, you continue. Yeah, it's going to get even crazier, I think. But no, her. I think definitely. I don't know. Is her him ushering in as like okay, this guy's like kind of at the top, or was it I'm still here, or both? I guess. I guess you can call those the I one th- two. Punch. I think her because her is like people will put that in like top 10 movies of all time, or that's one of the most relevant movies today. Like, but it's a, m- one of the most relevant art house movies. I don't think it's like, it's really poppy though. I think people know, know yeah. her pretty well. Cause it's had a pretty good long life on yeah, streaming. Too. I was in, and it has Scarlett Johansson in it. I forgot. I was in high school when that came out <laughs> and there were dudes who like, didn't even give a fuck about it as an art house film, but they were like, damn dude, his pants look sick. I want to dress like, that. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, his pants are sick in this movie. Yeah. They're all yeah, high waisted. that. Um, sorry. Continue producer. Sam. Oh no, nothing. I, 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 I don't, I, now I'm kind of, sorry. I think that I just wanted to say that I think that like, y- yes, those three movies have definitely like elevated him at to one of the best and just kind of like one of the most, like just, he can do anything. You know, for sure. Yeah, I, d- I do want to also throw in there. He was the main bear in Brother Bear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> shit, that's pretty fucking awesome. That's yeah, insane. I forgot about that. Man, if you look at some of his early stuff, I'm, I'm like scrolling through. It's so strange. It's like Buffalo Soldiers. I've never even heard of this movie. To Die For no. is actually incredible, and he has I've a heard pretty, that. he has a pretty big lead role as like the main kid and that's a gus van sant movie um Mm -hmm. with nicole kidman it's really it's really good oh and we didn't even mention walk the line yeah right yeah that's just impressive on its own yeah yeah Yeah. he plays a character named john r cash yeah (laughs) according to the official according to the official credit on letterboxd which is great um yeah and then a couple of other actors in here um you know, you got, I think the most recognizable faces for me were Amy Ryan, who yeah. plays his proxy mom. And really, I know her so famously because the, she had a very big role in The Office. I think that's what most people in our that's generation That's what I knew her from. from. Um, Nathan Lane, um, very recognizable <laughs> face. <laughs> I mean, hilarious. Yeah. Amazing. H- hilarious. Mostly a comedy actor. Yeah. And um, has been in a ton of stuff. And then, he made me laugh just popping up in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, kind of a, I guess a cameo, you can call it, from uh, Richard Kind, who was oh, the was guy awesome. at the very end. That was that was great. He was the the kind of 
prosecutor at the very yeah. end. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who that yeah. guy is. Great, great. I mean, I feel like I've seen him in a million. He's so recognizable. Seen him in a million things. Mostly a comedic actor as well, but yeah. played an awesome role and just kind of knocked it out of the park in those last like five ten minutes there. Yeah. Um, anybody I miss for actor resume? So fun little cameo as well michael gandolfini is one of joaquin phoenix's sons yes in the play yeah james gandolfini's son for sure yeah really really interesting fun choice i was telling lucas about that yeah and then uh what's the chick that plays elaine in this uh you guys are telling me parker posey yes yeah days and confused i know her from days and confused oh right right that's all I've seen of her. Yeah, she was in like Scream 3. I didn't watch that. Or Josie and the Pussycats. So she has some other stuff too, but I, we, that's what we know her from, Days and Confused. You're not going to believe this. In 1998, she was in a film called You've Got Mail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's a real, that's a real credit. I didn't, she's in that? What the heck? Yeah. Cool. I guess so. Man, didn't. He was sauced. Didn't make dude. a mark he on was you. hella sauced. Yeah, you were too sauced. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think that about wraps up for actor resume. I mean, obviously the, the main thing is, I mean, this is, this is such a huge Joaquin performance, such a big Joaquin role. You know, he's the poster, he's, he's on the poster three times, which four is times. great in four times. Well, the other, the kid that plays him is the fourth person, uh, yeah. Bo, the character is on the oh, poster yeah, four yeah. times, but Joaquin himself literally is on the poster three, three times. times. Yeah. Okay. Which is oh, great. Yeah. Um, so it was great to see him just cook the entire time. Really, really awesome. Uh, let's jump into just overall story. We can just be full spoilery here. We could be full on spoilery here. Uh, Producer Sam, man, I'm gonna let you talk. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you talk about this story, and I need I need you to make it make sense for me. Um, so please, like, explain what happens in the story, or like, what well, what we, do you mean, really? Well, we know what happens, right? Uh-huh. It's just like guy goes home to see his mom, mm-hmm. but like everything. I feel like that's such a Trojan horse premise. Mm-hmm. When it's about so many more things than that, uh, yes. Let's start. Let's start with the episodic structure of it, and then we can get, kind of dive into details. Okay. Um, yes, I'm go, going go to do it. my very best because uh, this is <laughs> such a crazy film. Um, um, I mean, I think that yes, it is essentially that, which is a great logline, but it kind of to get to the end there are so many different things that happen throughout the odyssey or the journey but not only that it's structurally we are so used to like act one act two act three but this feels like a very structurally it just feels so unique and it feels so um it feels so new uh, or maybe not new, but just not something that you normally see. So, um, you know, with all that being said, he goes on this journey, but the actual structure of the movie makes it feel, I mean, even more grand than I feel like most journeys you'd see in a three hour ish movie, but also just strangely. So, um, interestingly, um, told um i guess uh it's yeah it's just uh there's so much going on there's so many small details and i think essentially it does what the log line says 
but it it just kind of does it in a very unique, amazing, uh, original way. Yeah, Chambers, what do you think? I think, yeah, talking about structure, I think it's hard to describe the structure because it's a lot like a classic epic or a fable, um, like like the Odyssey. Or um, as Ari Aster described it, Jewish Lord of the Rings, because there's <laughs> there's so many different set pieces um, within it. Um, I mean, the, the first I don't know third big chunk takes place within the city Bo lives in. Um, then he starts going onto a journey. Then he goes to the suburbs. To, yes, and then to he, find his mom. Get but yeah, gets stuck in the suburbs. Then goes to the then, forest. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of just keeps going. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's the, an Odyssey film with episodic structure, right? So in the first part of the movie, he's in the middle of the city. He's in a made up city on a made up street in a made up, completely made up world. And I think, um, the movie doesn't have any interest in being realistic or like any, it's, it's, I mean, literally like his street, there's just a dead body on the ground, no explanation. It's just kind of there. Cars are just driving around it. There's like homeless people. There's a homeless naked man. That's like in his city, stabbing people that had apparently murdered 28 people before he stabs Bo, you know, that he sees on the news. And I mean, the, the movie just has zero interest in being realistic. Even I, every, every I read sign. a good description Go of the city he lives in and uh, I think it was in a Vulture article, and they basically describe the city he lives in as like how Fox News describes Los Angeles and San Francisco are like right mm. now, um, like yeah. just crawling with crime and homeless people raping and killing everyone. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's the um, yeah, and you know, I think uh, the world is in some ways that's the reality of the world that Bo is living in. But I think the movie does a lot of like, hey, this is in Bo's head, and like he is a mentally He's a mentally ill person. I mean, he is clearly suffering from anxiety. The first scene with him is with his therapist. And, um, you know, he's talking about anxiety. He's clearly a medicated person. And he's afraid of the world. And the world is either meant to be a reflection of his fear and anxieties about the world. Or the world is literally that. You know, there's like signs all over the place that don't make any sense. And you would never see in the real world. Like advertisements and the news headlines like aren't at all realistic and for me i i i think a lot of it is funny um and a lot of it is like comical humorous whatever but i found it disturbing i find that stuff really scary actually um there's a podcast i really like called welcome to night vale which is all about like a fictional desert town and this movie actually really reminded me of that tone of that podcast for any listeners that have out there that have heard it where you take a comedic approach to absurdity are you 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 kind of have like a comedic edge to an absurd concept which is like violence death and like anxiety and it's weird because it feels like there's these haha moments or tones in the very seriousness of the of the story or the you know the things that are literally happening like homeless people dying and violence and everything around Bo, and it almost feels like the comedy is a way to like get through the violence and get through the anxiety as a way to cope. At least that's, that's how I feel. And I find that to be actually darker than the other way around, which is it's just dark and we have fear and we try to push through this to me, like adds another layer that Ari Aster is really good at adding where here's this really fucked up thing. 
let's try and make you laugh to push through the fucked up thing. The fucked up thing still happens. He still gets stabbed and hit by a car and he's naked on the street. But it's kind of funny. So like we laugh, but it doesn't feel to me that doesn't make it feel any less serious. That doesn't make me feel any better. So I think the movie's on this line the whole entire time where it's doing that with its story. Well, I think he um and me and Chambers recently watched this movie because he talked about The Shining and how that inspired Hereditary. And he was basically like, honestly, this film works way more for me as a comedy. And, you know, he talks about just the the ridiculousness of him going crazy in three days and like the kind of the title card slamming in. And, you know, I, and I really saw it from that perspective the last time we watched it, Chambers. Because, yeah. you know, the scene where uh, Shelley Duvall goes up to Jack Nicholson and is like, he's like, there's someone, there's someone in the hotel. And he's just like drunk. He's supposed to be drunk. And he just looks at her. He's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Just like the way he said it. It's just yeah, like, yeah. oh, I get like, I don't know. It's I think that a lot of the high level directors love to play with tone. And, and I believe that tone is just so important and in great filmmaking and um if it's not dynamic it's not you know it's not as interesting at least for me you know yes yeah i i think too i, I want to drop some philosophy shit on you all right now <laughs> oh um, please so please I, do I, I i read this book i guess i think it's technically an essay but it's fucking like 200 pages so it's a long essay um <laughs> I believe it's called like the comic by Henry Bergson, um, a philosopher from like the 19th century. Basically the book goes through the different types of humor. It, he, he's seeking to define what humor is and what creates it. And some people think it's like to cope like what you said, but at its core, it's um, recognizing the mechanical encrusted upon the living what that means is kind of like recognizing like weird like inorganic things that don't make sense and when those things mesh with what we perceive as natural or normal um and mm. when you understand it on a more basic level like that not that just it's funny i think it's a little more easier to understand that like like the, sometimes we don't know if we should be laughing or not in a movie like this, mm -hmm. because I know when we walked out of this, Lucas, you, you seem to take it a little more seriously than like um, Sam did. And we all laughed at certain parts or did not laugh at certain parts. Everyone um, laughed at different parts. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh, there were parts where everybody laughed and it was just funny for the entire theater we were in and uh, other parts where there, there was like only the people who were really into fucked up humor were, yeah. were able to laugh As, right yeah, right totally parts. totally yeah like the when the news goes like a crazy man named birthday naked birthday stab man yeah. has gone around and killed 28 people uh, victims describe him as a circumcised white male. And it's like, okay, that's funny. That's a funny line. That's like written. Yeah. That's a comedy line. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think like there was another part that's like on the opposite end of the spectrum for me where uh, Bo kills, chokes his mom out, kills her, and then walks to the like water and gets on a boat and he has this deranged look on his face. And I, I found that to not be funny. I, I didn't find that funny at all. I found that to be disturbing. And like, I think if it was, 
if that occurred in most movies that weren't in this kind of genre bendy thing, like if somebody murdered their mom and had like a shocked kind of stunned look on their face, I think in most cases that's kind of a, Oh fuck moment. Or like, I think we would take those kinds of things a little bit more seriously. Like if that had happened in the shining, which it kind of does, I think, I think we would take it quite, quite a bit seriously. Or we, we take it seriously in something like the shining, I think in most cases. And to me, I think, are you saying that, as a criticism, or are you saying that as an observation? No, observation. Yeah. I'm not even criticizing it. I'm just, I'm saying everyone reacts to things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know how I react to things, or at least I know how I react to this movie. And I think the beautiful thing about this movie that's going to happen over time is I'm definitely going to find, I think everyone's going to kind of come the other way or meet in the middle, mm-hmm. where like when on the next watch through, I think you guys might, maybe you guys might find certain things that I found very serious to be a little bit more serious, or maybe I'll find certain things funnier Mm -hmm. the next time around, you know? I think if you watch something enough, you'll probably just, it'll probably just become funny, even something as crazy as The Shining. Yeah. Uh Like Clockwork Orange could probably be viewed as a comedy in a weird way too, and that movie's fucked up as hell. Yeah. People create memes out of stuff like that now and turn it into comedy, or even the... I was, I'm only able to laugh at a film like this because I've learned now that Ari Aster has a fucked up sense of humor. I've learned that through his past films, his short films. And so I had the mindset already of like, I'm getting ready to laugh at something that's like really dark because that's what he wants. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I, same thing for, well, we're talking about the witch. Now I'm going to talk about the lighthouse for a little bit is like the second time I watched it, it actually worked way more as an absurdist comedy because the first time i was like whoa what is this and then the second time i was like this is hilarious so it's it's funny when movies um you know after so many viewings certain movies feel exactly the same like pulp fiction always feels exactly the same every time i watch it but like something like the wit or uh the lighthouse is um you know it's like any time you watch it it could morph into something that um you've never seen or, or felt before, you know? Yeah. One, one thing I do want to bring up to you guys too, just as a, just, I, I guess a hypothetical, if you guys had a friend that bad shit happened to all the time or had a really unfortunate life or like, you know, close loved ones of theirs died tragically or yeah. they got hurt or they were injured. They just had a horrible life, but all they did was like make jokes about it. Would you not find that to be sad? Would you not find that person to be like trying their hardest to cope I mean, that's like every comedian in the world, right? <laughs> right. No. And that's what I'm saying yeah. is like yeah. comedians can be, can have a lot of demons, like a lot of inner demons and yeah. stuff. And for me, when I watch Ari Aster's movies and I'm not, you know, obviously we're not privy to Ari Aster's mental state, but his tone of uh, Bo is Afraid reminds me a lot of that line where like, we're just in this fucked up world trying to like make jokes about it. And that makes it more dark. I guess that's my overall point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like kind of where, where my mind goes mm-hmm. is like, oh, that was funny, but it's kind of a coping mechanism to anxiety. And I find people personally, when somebody like has anxiety or like somebody has like really bad depression and they make jokes about their depression, I find that very depressing. I don't find yeah. it very empowering. So uh, you'd rather personally. So you'd rather have them be like, hey. I'm having a terrible, I'm, I'm having a really bad day, no, sir. Not necessarily. I mean, I just think that there's, I mean, you could argue what's a healthy thing or not. I, I can't make a call on like if making a joke about your depression is the way to cope with depression. Mm-hmm. For some people it is, mm-hmm. but for some people, I mean, some people it's not. 
Yeah. Right? Like for I, Robin Williams, it wasn't, it, it, it didn't work. Right. So there's, there's a line. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a point where things are hopeless and tough, but there is also a line where it's like, okay, this humor makes me feel uncomfortable because I know there's something really dark behind it. And that's what Bo is afraid is to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can really relate to that kind of humor, I guess. Cause I've, I tend to do that personally myself. You definitely make that kind of humor. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I don't know. I, I, I interpret it a little bit differently. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have to go into the philosophy of why or like, you know, like I feel, I guess I feel this way. I, I think that I've always, I've just had a really strong connection with him as a director because I feel like at heart that he's just kind of like this nerdy, like comedic guy that seems like he's really strange and he is really strange, but also like, he's like you said, like there's some straight, like comedy written stuff in Bo, you know? And if you watch some of his shorts, they're just straight up like dark comedies are not so absurd. Um, but yeah, I think that's a little bit of a like misconception, even with someone like a, like a David Lynch, like David Lynch is weird, but he's also just kind of like, a normal guy, you know? Um, right. So I don't know. I, I think that normal people can just make really weird stuff and they don't have to be depressed or they don't have to be, you know, some outsider. I, I think that people just, you know, want to make crazy stuff because life can be, you know, life can be depressing. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> you're proving my point by yeah. saying that. No, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm just saying that, um, I'm I'm not really trying to argue with you. I, I'm just trying to say that like people are actually uh, some of these absurdist ar- artists like Ari or David Lynch are just normal like me and you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just there. There's a darkness to Ari Aster. hundred percent. I mean, his his subject matter is very heavy and very feels very personal. You know, it feels like it's coming from like a very personal place. So like, even though like. Especially something like Hereditary Midsommar. Those are about like breakups, family trauma, anxiety. Um, And I have no doubt that Ari Aster has some sort of experience with either anxiety or family trauma or the the subject, the the main core themes in the movies. Um, But it seems like Bo is Afraid has solidified my thought that comedy is is one of the ways out from something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's a coping mechanism or not, um, or whether Ari Aster as a filmmaker is interested in exploring if it's a coping mechanism or not, is maybe relevant to the conversation. I'm not quite sure if it is, but um, that's that's just my my general vibe. But Chambers, what do you, what do you think about the overall concept? I think, yeah, I, I agree. I just want to say that I because I recognize the the fucked up things within the movie, just like you, but. I think you can still laugh at it and understand <laughs> this is f- fucking awful. Um, and that's kind of <laughs> the approach I took to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say definitely, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with his use of humor is to cope with like really hard things that most people actually deal with. Um, you know, familial guilt, breakups, um, your your parents passing shit down to you that that 
you don't want passed down to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the core things he he's talking about in all these films are actually like very relatable. Um, he just really is in this film, which is mostly about familial guilt, is like really just taking that to the most absurd, the most extreme, where his mom is literally like Big Brother, like um, she, she has cameras putting him on watching trial. him, putting him on trial. Um, hiring actors to test him, test her, his love for her. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it really just takes an idea and and blows it up to its its maximum uh, understanding. I, yeah. I think he said he said another interesting thing about Bo is like they asked him like, "Oh, you were a horror guy. Were you trying to intentionally break out of it?" and also, it seems like all your movies have the same themes. And he was kind of like, well, he's like, honestly, Bo kind of just felt like felt like a extreme parody of my other stuff and that it was going to kind of he's like, this is kind of going to be the last thing I'm going to do like this. And I was kind of almost trying to make a joke out of my last two movies or that's something that mm-hmm. was kind of like conscious in his own head, like because he's such a self-aware um director i think he's like let's um let's try to do something interesting um and let's try to like break the mold a little bit you know it definitely felt like okay this guy is transforming and moving on to some other chapter in his directorial career with Mm -hmm. this yeah is this his 808s (laughs) (laughs) is that what we're saying um, what do you guys so. think his ne- what do you guys think his next uh, movie is going to be about? What genre do you think it's going to live in? I mean, do you see is Ari Aster like going to make an action movie next? I think he's going to make a rom com like, for sure. I <laughs> like a, I would love to see an Ari like Aster a fool's, like a Fool's Gold Part Two. I think that he could <laughs> over time like seriously answering that question. I could see this drifting towards a, a slightly. He, he could just be a slightly more fucked up Coen brothers because mm-hmm. this is like a classic, like, like Jewish view of, of the world, at least, at least amongst like a lot of famous Jewish directors, such as the Coen brothers of like that. <laughs> there's no nihilism. Ans- nihilism. There's no answers in life. Um, and the, the humor kind of comes from the same place in these as, as the Coen brothers films do. So I, I yeah. think I could see it leaning towards that trajectory. Yeah. The Coen brothers also have done a number of genres too, including yeah. romantic comedy. So yeah. that's a, that's an interesting comparison there. Um, of course, like American crime, uh, stories, complex crime stories have been a mainstay, but, yeah. um, yeah, I do. That's, that's actually a really interesting comparison. Cause I love the Coen brothers. They have plenty of comedy in dark comedy in their movies. And, Sometimes you're not quite sure when to laugh, uh, and that's that uncomfortability is definitely like kind of a interesting line to be on. Although I think Ari Aster is a little bit more, he's leaning into a little bit more of like the absurdist style of the comedy, where Coen Brothers might be a little 100%. bit more subtle in the comedy approach, where they might just have a funny line or a character does or says a funny thing that doesn't really make that much sense. Whereas Ari's going all in. He's kind of, he takes that and then he kind of dials it up to a hundred. He's very like maximalist. Yeah. And absurd. Exactly. He's like maximalist yes. absurdist. Like yeah. Yeah. that's a With kind Bo, of, for sure. That's kind of a, well, yeah, a, a great way to describe Bo. Cause it's just so, um, 
yeah i mean it's it it's just kind of like you're you're kind of trying to dissect what is real and what isn't real but also it's just kind of like maybe it's all real you know maybe we're just like Mm. going through the experience with him and it's just this is just the world you know that's how i kind of felt um with the movie at times too i was just like oh this is just all supposed to you know be 110 percent correct you know yeah Yeah. so there's that scene when he takes it he takes a medication that you have to take with water his therapist tells him (laughs) you you have to and he has to run and get water because his water is shut off and he it's obviously like a like what happens inside an anxious person's mind coming to life when he he runs out of his apartment and has to leave it unlocked and then literally like 30 people off the street run into his apartment and just start beating the shit out of each other and <laughs> trashing his apartment. Yeah. Yeah. That was that crazy. Was funny. Yeah, that was a funny scene. Um, okay. Is that wrap it up for story? Do you guys have anything else you want to touch on for story before we move on to uh, cinematography? No, I, don't, I, I think that's, I think we got a good, we chunk, got it. good chunk there. The final, the final say, uh, thanks for playing final say on Bo's afraid story. Um, Cinematography. Uh, Producer Sam, I'll let, I'll let you go first on this one, just just thinking about it. I think there's so much. There's so many sets. There's so many locations. There's so much to look at. Um, it's a long movie. Let's. What you got on cinematography? What are your thoughts there? Um, I actually think that camera-wise, Hereditary and Midsommar had a lot more interesting moves and, and placement and very... Um, um, just like more interesting compositions. But I think because Bo Bo is afraid was so such a long movie and probably the shooting schedule was insane, I think the shots were a little bit more simple. Um but I think it still really worked. Like nothing felt very um nothing felt um you know, like it it, it wasn't up to par, like it all felt very connected. But um I mean, I thought it was great. I mean, it's 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 hard too because there's kind of a big animation scene where I guess he had, um, you know, connected with these guys who do animation and they kind of make their own movies and they made something very specifically for him. Um, and it's a like you know, it's probably going to be the most talked about sequence of the movie uh, for sure. The part that everyone likes the most, where he goes through this journey the play within a movie play within a movie and it's honestly it's incredible and um yeah i mean that i i guess that's more like vfx animation but that stuff looked amazing uh you know so like the house that the mom lived at was really fucking cool even like i i loved the vfx stuff at the end where you know he's in the boat i think that it's just all it all fit very well together for me in terms of i guess cinematography and a little bit of the set design yeah yeah Yeah. i think um i think you're right i mean the camera was pretty restrained there was a few moments when the camera went handheld near the end of the um suburb part of the movie Mm. that i thought was really really cool um it went handheld in that room when um uh, the paint is drinking paint oh he jumps out and he jumps out of the window and he jumps out of the glass door and stuff and um that was that was really awesome. Then he runs into the forest, and yeah. the camera kind of um, stays, you know, pretty tight on him um, until he gets knocked out, and then kind of enters his next part of the journey. Um, 
that was great because that really felt like the climax of a, of a little mini movie inside of the movie before he got to the next episode. Um, and that was that was really cool. I don't think there was as much like athletic, quote, athletic filmmaking as in the other ones. It's not like the hereditary crane shot from the end. There wasn't any of that. There wasn't yeah. anything on that. I mean, level, some of the some of the stuff yeah. at the end of Midsommar, too, is just it's so amazing the way he shoots like the house burning down and the sacrifice yeah. of the bear. It really is like it's really just kind of incredible. But um, yeah, I, but, I think in, there's a couple more things I want to shout out was like when like there's a moment when he smokes the joint in the car and the camera kind of goes black. Yeah, or everything goes black around him and he becomes really small. Like he's super high. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was really cool. There was like moments where um, they use like really interesting kind of lighting cues mm-hmm. uh, and move the camera back with like a dolly out or a, you know very similar things like a dolly in mm-hmm. on certain parts. So I really appreciated using things like that to really make us feel like Bo was alone or afraid. And my favorite shot of the movie, we should just do favorite shots too. And just sure. Say, by the way, um, favorite shot, his mom when he was talking to him when he was a kid mm. and the, the, night, the light night light is lighting her. That shit was awesome. Yeah. That was an amazing, amazing, my favorite shot of the movie for sure. Very De Palma uh, for sure. Yeah. I could see that. Chambers, what about, what about you on cinematography? And then we'll talk favorite shots. I think there might be like, the, there's a shot of him sitting in his mom's house kind of on a ledge and I, I think I think that shot came out as a photo like before the movie came out. I remember seeing it, um, but it it's a kind of a wide. They have a wide lens on, so you can see the entire house around him as well. It's it's just a really well composed shot. Um, but I th- overall, because I, I didn't really talk about the cinematography, I think it's very functional, and it it does what it needs to do in order to to keep the the story moving and and evoke the emotions it needs to evoke i didn't really see a lot of shots that were like holy fuck this is beautiful Mm -hmm. which i think would have taken away from the tone of the movie if it Mm. did that so there weren't a lot of shots i saw that gave me that like holy shit feeling um but i'm kind of glad it didn't um that one that i pointed out is probably the only one that i really felt that way probably um, maybe it's some shots of him like running back and forth, like on the street towards the beginning of the movie were pretty interesting. The just shots. the chaos. Yeah, of, those, that yeah was cool. those are cool. Yeah. Those are pretty interesting as well. Um, favorite shot, favorite shot. Chambers. Ch- All right. And both, both of you favorite shots. Um, yeah, I think there, I don't know if I can, Hmm. I'm trying to think. Sorry. I, I think the shot that I really, really loved and the scene that I really loved was the end of the animation scene where it's just Joaquin as an old man and he's like hugging his sons and it's just like that close oh, up was, from the camera was, was like right below him. I don't know. I, I, I just thought that performance was so, so, so good. And just like I just love when directors like keep it simple. Like there's a there's a scene in there will be blood where it's just basically him talking to his brother and it's just close up, close up, close up, close up. And I love when as, as crazy as directors can get, you kind of just do the most fundamental thing to tell a section of it. And that scene was just so powerful. And that's, that's definitely one that was like imprinted into my brain. I was like, damn, he's like, 
I forget what he says exactly. He's just like, <laughs> my sons, my sons. But yeah. uh, very, very powerful. Yeah, I, lo- I love that shot. The my f- Okay, my favorite shot, I have two that I think they connect to each other. And they're the two most important shots, I think, for most movies. And it's the first shot and the last shot. Mm-hmm. The first mm. is the intro of Bo being actually born. And you see <laughs> just streaks of light. And yeah. sounds of a heartbeat and screaming, and um, it's just showing you the experience of being born, I guess. And then the last shot is his boat turned over in this huge coliseum with of water, um, where he's he's dying underneath the boat um, and kind of struggling. And these two shots kind of connect to each other. He kind of goes out the way he came in, like alone, wet, dark. Um, he goes and, from being in a womb to being in a womb, like in a sense. Yes. Being that he was put in by his mother both times. Yeah. Um, so I thought the, the way those two shots connected was really, really beautiful. Um, yeah. Those I are agree. definitely the faves. My, um, I was going to say the last shot is runner up very, very close second for me. I loved a lot. The last shot. Um, and I loved the credit roll over it. The audience really, in the background, yes. leaving the theater. That was, I think that was a huge, like, taking a bow moment. Mic like, drop. Yep. Yeah, mic drop, like, really, really cool. And then, real quick, one last one. The shot, that's it's super wide. It's when we're doing, like, play within a play, the play within a movie sequence, where the angel's floating, and you just see the back of her, and you see Joaquin kind of walking down this brick road um, with, like, greenery, and there's, yeah. like, hills and mountains. You guys know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. That shot is awesome. Kind of like really awesome. Wizard it's, of Oz esque. It's yeah. Wizard of Oz esque. Um, it's like from the trailer, and the angel wings are moving at a slower frame rate than like twenty four. They're like, they're kind of like stuttering. Yeah, and and it's like also a lot of that like or something. Yeah, a, a lot of that sequence actually was stuttery, like low frame rate animation yeah. type stuff, and I thought that was super effective. For some reason, it scares me too. Maybe I just get scared very easily. <laughs> the, even the angel, the angel wings moving in that weird way. I think when there's mixed media and stuff, I get very afraid. It's probably because of that Courage the Cowardly Dog episode with the face. Um, oh, yeah. Whenever there's something that's not in the world of the medium, for, it's from another medium in the other medium. It freaks me out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that one. Like if the there would have been a claymation scene, it would have like really. Bro, me. yeah, yeah, it would have bugged. It would have hurt. It would have. It would have made me very scared. Especially given the, if it was in the right context, yeah, you know, um, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a scaredy cat. Um, all right, let's jump into, uh, the next one, which is sound. You go first, Lucas. Um, I, I didn't have a ton of notes here. Honestly, I think there was, uh, some really cool use of some, of some songs. I mean, the Mariah Carey one's probably the big one. <laughs> yes. Everyone's going to remember. Uh, there's a sex scene in this movie. It's a really great sex scene, and Mariah Carey's playing, um, and that was awesome. And I think there was just some classic kind of droney um, stuff that totally. was like the score was definitely kicking in during like moments of of great tension, um, like you know when Bo goes into the attic and finds his dad up there. That was really we didn't even talk about that in the story. Um, <laughs> there was moments of intensity there, but I think quite the opposite happens a lot, which is the movie's actually pretty quiet. And, you know, producer Sam, I know we talked about this too, not, not 
like just there's recently, a lot of silence for sure there's a lot of silence and i think it's used very effectively in the movie like i could hear people farting in our movie theater, <laughs> um, yes. and i thought that added a lot to to my experience totally totally um yeah i think i i loved the sound i mean just a lot of the sound design stuff and um the music, you know, was was pretty minimal. I, I think it was the same composer as Midsommar, actually, and Midsommar has an amazing score. I think his name's like Bobby Krillick or something like that. But um, I don't think the music was like a super, like a big focus, but definitely, you know, I mean, one of my favorite sequences was the first dream sequence where he's kind of on the boat and it's kind of like kind of coming back to him in present time. And um, I think one thing that Ari Aster does so well is kind of recreating these like, like, honestly, that was probably one of the better dream sequences I've seen because it it just it's so um, how my own dreams feel. Um, I want to go back and watch that scene again. Yeah. I want to watch it just for that scene. It's just like the the droniness of it, the, the way that things are sped up or slowed down. Um, the vividness of it, like how it's like more saturated on the boat and it's more saturated when he's a kid. It's just kind of like, I feel like the way he portrays memories and dreams is just so like on point. It's just so effective. So, um, and obviously sound is a big part of that and, and great directors like Ari really do care about sound. So it, it wasn't so much of a music movie as it was just kind of like using, sound design to better the film in my opinion yeah definitely i think like the 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 sex scene the use of the mariah carey song is a punchline in that scene (laughs) and it's really really funny um towards the beginning with uh, to to speak on the silence he keeps getting notes under his door to turn down (laughs) his music even though he's completely silent within his apartment uh-huh. Um, and then his neighbor ends up blasting music all night. Um, and then I, I don't even know how much you can, you can fit this into sound, but we need to talk about this scene cause it's the funniest scene in the movie is when he calls his mom <laughs> to find out that she's dead by a UPS driver answers and it's voiced by Bill Hader. Yeah. And he calls back to find out. Yeah, <laughs> it's that, not the that wrong number. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was that that's, was awesome. That's you don't even have to be looking at the movie to to laugh at that scene. That it's just pure like. It's just a phone call. Yeah, yeah. it's almost a comedy routine. It honestly. is. It's, it's totally literally just like routine. it's literally just like a right like a setup, a turn, and then a punchline. Like when yeah. he calls him back because he like calls him and he's just like I'm, I'm so sorry, bro. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of that Albert Brooks too, like influence totally. Totally, I say I saw yeah. a lot of that in in Bo for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that wraps it up for all of our categories here. Um, did you guys have any extra things we didn't get to throw in there? Was there any half-assed internet research you did, producer Sam? Or I mean, I just listened to a, leave it all out there, man. I just listened to a lot of interviews um, with him. Um, and just kind of people talking about the film. Um, I saw um, it was really funny. I don't know if you guys saw that they like premiered it at the Alamo House in Brooklyn. And <laughs> no. Nathan Fielder hosted the Q&A. What? And Joaquin <laughs> was supposed to introduce him. And Joaquin was actually there. But like he was in the wrong theater the whole time. And then came through on the Q&A and was like, hey, sorry. 
I was supposed to introduce Ari or whatever. And it's just like this really awkward, funny interaction. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go now, guys. And then like just leaves. And everyone's just like, is that Joaquin Phoenix? So like, I don't know if that was marketing or what that was, but that was hilarious. Um, I also, he also sat down with the Q&A with Martin Scorsese, um, which is just kind of like, I just, I just love that so, so much. Cause I mean, Scorsese is like my favorite director of all time. I mean, next to Kubrick, but like he loves Ari, like, and he was just complimenting his body of work. He was talking about the story structure. Uh, he's talking about his camera moves. Like he just really, really loves Ari. And I think that's so awesome because, um, you know, like it's, it's hard to be a brave filmmaker out there and, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm not even going to compare it to just this era, but there's always going to be a type of movie you should be making for the times. And, um, you know, it's guys like Ari that are like really swinging and really just kind of like, you know, I, I think this movie is is kind of, um, you know, I, I, I was telling Chambers, I was like, this is like Hollywood Tarkovsky a little bit like it's like it's it, it's absurd. But since it has all these big Hollywood actors you know, it has some of these Broadway people like Bill Hader's literally in it. Like, it's just such an <laughs> awesome, like, world, you know? Like, he's such, like, a yes. maximalist. The world is so awesome. Like, I just love kind of when directors just go all out, like like Ari did for this one. And um, I think that, you know, I I think people will look back on this movie in like a hundred years and still not be ready for it. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think that's a great quality of the film. A hundred years when we're just, when AI is making everything on VR headsets. Yeah. AIs are going to watch it and just be like, Whoa, this guy's like, this guy's fucked up. It's going to break the AI. No, definitely. I I think like that makes me think like that this is very much like the the theme is like universal enough that i think you're probably right that this is kind of like a fable about 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 family um yeah like as absurd it is as absurd as it is it's still kind of a really oddly grounded story yes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah totally and i I do want to say too because we wrapped up story a long time ago if if there's anyone listening that feels like I still don't know what the fuck this movie is about, it's because <laughs> this movie is so much of a long. It's a, it's like is it three hours or almost three three hours. hours? It's long. There's so many crazy, absurdly dark and funny set pieces that connect to one another that it's it's really hard to explain in one podcast like what what happens in the movie because there's Very way true. too many things. There's way too many scenes in this movie to, to explain it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about you, totally. Lucas? What, it, what, it, what I'm, I'm curious to know what I guess you like the least and maybe what you like the most and overall thinking about it the past, you know, few days now, like how you've digested it and yeah, if it's changed at all since you saw it. Yeah. I think, um, the thing I, I like the movie quite a bit, actually. I don't think I like it as much as you guys like it. Um, I think it, it's hard. It's really hard not to take into account the Ari Aster context when it comes to this movie. Um, so, like, I think 
when I'm when I'm thinking about this movie, I'm thinking about the fact that it was really marketed as a comedy. Like I'm really curious as to how I'd feel or how that movie theater would have felt if no one heard the word nightmare comedy and they just heard Ari Aster movie. Ari Aster, like big adventure movie or something, or Ari Aster, like kind of scary movie or something like that. And if we would have had a different expectation and approach to it. Um, and like if the Midsommar and hereditary viewings, like Chambers said, can prep you for, okay, I know what Ari Aster is like. I know that he finds really dark things funny. Would I now I know I can laugh at certain things in this movie. Um, so I think that is kind of what's been a nagging feeling for me is like, you know, if, if the movie was marketed differently or talked about slightly differently or there was interviews that prepped the audience in a slightly different way, would we be having a different expectation with this whole thing? Or yeah. would we have thought about the movie differently? That's that's one thing nagging, but um, I still like the movie, all that being said. I, I love that. I think what its overall theme at the end of the day is, you know, we have all these issues. Um, Midsommar, Hereditary, Bo is Afraid, they're all about family trauma. And can humor be a way to undercut those traumas or make those traumas soften the, soften the blow on those traumas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie has a dark ending. I mean, the Bo yeah. dies at the end of it, mm-hmm. right? It's, there's, it's not a funny ending. It's not a punchline, mm-hmm. right? So I think at the end of the day, what Ari Aster's saying is still sad, still dark. And um, I think all of the comedy and bright colors and certain things that happen along the journey those are just distractions from what we're ultimately going to feel, which is death and guilt and horror, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the movie. That's how the movie ends, yeah. right? So that's my overall take on it. Um, I just can't wait for what Ari Aster does. And this makes me want to go back and watch Hereditary Midsommar, feel him out again. I'm, we're definitely watching this movie again on the next the next time we have three hours. <laughs> totally. Uh, I, I wanted to go back and watch it in IMAX, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. We, I'd be down. I, I bet IMAX? it's even better. Yeah, because yeah, it's it an IMAX it movie. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm in. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to say one more thing. Um, something about it, too. I don't know if you felt this, Chambers, or you did, Lucas, but um, this film felt very spiritual to me in an odd way, even though it um you know it's it's this nightmarish comedy with all this um kind of with all this like absurd dark yet funny things in it um something about its tone it was like very um just like i lack a better word i'm repeating myself again but spiritual and uh i think that was something that i noticed that was maybe a little bit different or maybe there was some of that in hereditary um, but I, I just, I, I liked some of the, just the way that in, in the sequences, like particularly the dream sequences and the, in, in the dreams where he's like hallucinate in where the parts where he's hallucinating and stuff like that, it feels very, um, like I, I feel like he, he is re- really grabbing from places that, you know, are, not within himself too. Like I was trying to say this to Lucas and, and chambers. I was like, I feel like Ari is kind of like a vessel, you know, like they say like John Coltrane, like this dude was like a vessel. Like there was only one John Coltrane. Like there's only one Charlie Parker. And, and when you, when you make something, when you make art, um, sometimes people believe it comes from somewhere else. And I feel like that sometimes when I, more particularly with Bo is afraid that it was just kind of like he's really grabbing from not planet Earth, 
you know? <laughs> Damn. I didn't get the spiritual thing from it that much. I, I actually felt like it was more pretty, um, not the opposite of spiritual, but I felt like it was pretty, pretty grime infested. I like, I don't know, whatever, I don't know how you're using, how you mean to use the word spiritual, but I feel like it, I don't know if it's like a form of, wor- you mean like a form of worship or like a, I, uh, I think because, analogous of- because, you know, like the Odyssey too, like where he has his three sons is almost like more or less like a Jesus story or like, you know, I, I, I just feel like, um, you know, the scene where he's talking to his mom, you know, one of your favorite scenes and, and the light is hitting her like, yes, it's just a children's light in a room, but like something about certain parts of the movie made it feel, and maybe it's just cause it's so many different concoctions of so many different things, but like, um, something about it. Um, and I don't know if it's just tone or these specific sequences gave me like more of a connection to spirituality. Um, and I know that sounds like hippie as hell, but I'm, <laughs> I just like, yeah, the film didn't def- definitely didn't do that for me, yeah, but it did it for I, me I, is what I was trying is what I was trying to say. I can, what about you? Chambers? I can't, I can't say if I completely agree, but I, I can see I can see where you get that from because the the this is grimy and absurd that as the film is it is very it moves like poetry there there is a lot of scenes such as the play scene that um you know you're very unsure what's real and what is not and the core the core themes are as old as humanity the the story structure is very much like an old fable and uh, you know a, a yeah. greek epic and so that there's a lot of things that feel timeless and and older than than you know anybody we know um i think it it could it's spiritual in the way that we we talked about the coen brothers earlier uh have you guys seen a serious man yeah yeah that um a serious man you you should watch it you would you would like it a lot but that that movie is also very nihilistic it's also a movie that kind of tells you like when you, you just die at the end. Um, that, <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of what it tells you. And that's very um, spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that movie is very explicitly about spirituality, but I got it. Got it. But, very cool. But, um, yeah, like a so, simple, like you're trying to say like as weird as the subject matter is as simple or as complex. And as much as you think it leans away from something that's, non-religious it can still feel like religious and or spiritual that within itself is what makes creates the spirituality i think that you're talking about yeah yeah i I guess i don't mean it as in such a direct way either it's more just like yeah it's more like a feeling i guess yeah Mm -hmm. yeah totally gotcha all right are we ready for the ratings at a at a are we doing out of 10 yeah, let's let's do that. Okay. Also, we'll do the same we TFP style. We don't do half ratings, right? No point five. No, no half rating. Right. I mean, it'll become a half rating probably based oh, on yeah. what everybody says. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, go for it. We're gonna all do it TFP style. Everybody say their rating out of ten at the end. We'll combine them to get a good score here. Uh, three, two, one. Nine. Ten. Dang. Eight, nine, and ten. All right, it's a wrap. Not bad. So, what does that add up nine. to, Chambers? That's an average of nine. 
That's an average. Oh, yeah, it is an average of nine. Yeah. Okay. So the TFP score for uh, Bo's Afraid, nine out of 10. That's great. That's, that's a good score. That's an amazing uh, score. It's, it's actually above what uh, the Metacritic, Letterboxd, Tomato Meter. It's basically above the average for every single score that's out there right now for All this right, movie. Um, I mean, it has a 3.6 on Letterboxd, um, which okay. if you convert that, I think that's a 7.2 yeah. on a 10 scale. Right. So, yeah, I think uh, this movie is going to be a controversial one. I don't I don't think it's for everybody for for sure. Um, it's definitely a step away from Ari Aster's style. But uh, I think it's clear that we all really loved loved it and found a lot of things to love about this movie. So I shouldn't. Ask, oh, go ahead, Chambers. Let me ask for a one more alternate rating. Is this a good movie to watch stoned? No, absolutely uh, not. I, I can't. <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't. Personally, I would not be able to. I was. But I was going to say, yeah. is this a good first date movie? What do you guys think? Fuck no. No, it is not. <laughs> Honestly. It's way too long. Goodwill Hunting is the is the only right answer. R.E.S. I will argue the notebook. We'll never yes. make a first date movie ever. Um, Honestly, this movie would probably be scary as shit if you were high. Oh, yeah. It would probably be oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Imagine scary. if you there smoke probably crack. Wouldn't be, it probably wouldn't be funny. It, the, the, the funny things would become extremely scary no, yeah. very quickly for me for me um but cool guys um that's about it now um for those of you that have been listening for a while thank you for for listening to this episode we're definitely going to be doing more movie episodes for the podcast we'll be having some more written content on our website thanks for playing dot live if you want to email us you can email us at thanks for playing pod at gmail.com you can follow us on instagram and all of our socials including tiktok twitter and instagram at thanks for playing pod or tfp podcasts that's tfp podcasts with an s at the end chambers if people want to find you how could they find you online um you can find me on instagram uh no dot pistols you can also find me in the discord my new username is nothing in paris it's the safe work version of the previous one <laughs> nice and uh producer sam sorry were you were you done nothing in paris yeah yeah that was it that okay was it. <laughs> producer sam where can people find you online? Uh, you could find me at uh, on Instagram um, at Sam Luna Film. It's my photo page, but you can totally shoot me a DM on there and talk about, you know, any sort of crazy uh, messed up films because that's usually what I'm watching. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about awesome. that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Awesome. All right, everybody. This has been, this has been Thanks for Playing. Catch you next time. Skibbity bop. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Royal Call Bunch and Red Circle. 